Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com. You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing? Welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, to episode 81 of the show that, like South Korean hurler Suk Min Yoon, is a low-risk allocation of your resources with moderate upside. So good signing, guys. Good signing on that download. Good choice. My name is once again Sam Dingman, and we've got a fantastic program on tap for you this week. In just a little bit, we're going to bring you our patented seventh-inning sketch, which this week will be a tribute to the podcast you should be listening to instead of this one which is called Welcome to Night Vale. It's essentially the uh, Tanaka signing in comparison to Yoon. <laughs> to our Suckman Yoon. <laughs> we'll also be talking to Oriole's subreddit poster O's Organizer about a very interesting experiment in crowd-sourced crowd noise at Oriole Park this coming summer. But first, I'd like to remind you that I'm pleased to be occupying Hootenanny Studios tonight alongside my esteemed co-host, Alan Smith. Damn, that's a cold-ass honky. Now, folks, when Alan first asked to join me in the Baltimoreans broadcast booth, I told him... The lineup card is mine, and that's all. He protested, of course, to which I replied... Shut up! Shut the fuck up! You have no right to take... Shut up! Will you shut up! Shut up! Shut, 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 shut up! Shut up! Eventually, of course, I relented when Alan read me one of his trademark brilliant episode introductions, to which I could only respond. <laughs> That's marvelous. <laughs> <laughs> well, here is an intro to episode 81, uh, although I'm not sure it's as brilliant as anything um, we just went over. So, 81. Uh, if this podcast were a season, we would be halfway through. Nine games under 500 and looking up at both the Red Sox and the Rays. <laughs> um, and 81 is an interesting number for those of us who are in our 30s uh, and who watched the Grammys last weekend. Because, uh, after all, 1981 was the year that brought us Madonna for the very first time. Uh, and in some ways, she became, I would say, the sex symbol of the 1980s. And there she was last weekend uh, up on stage in a white Colonel Saunders suit with a cane, singing back up to Macklemore as Queen Latifah um, pronounced the marriage of 34 different couples in what ended up being a just a bizarre, bizarre social experiment. Um, I know the cane had more to do with a recent skiing accident than it did as a particular <laughs> fashion statement du jour, but it was shocking for me to see how the woman who sang Like a Virgin when I was two has aged. And it made me think about my own mortality in relation to uh, uh, a sex symbol in a lot of ways. She captivated a generation of young men, uh, even, it must be noted, those young men that went on to like other men, <laughs> um, with her jean jackets and her leg warmers and her sex appeal, which I would put up with Marilyn Monroe in terms of just oozing, oozing sex. Every pore. She starred in A League of Their Own. Um, and along with Rosie O'Donnell, I would say just barely missed out as Best Supporting Actress for her role as May in that film. Mm-hmm. Um, but here we get to a very interesting crossover uh, and one worth exploring on this show. Because sex is both paradoxically not at all connected to baseball. Cold showers, Margaret Thatcher, baseball being a common refrain for those adolescent scamps trying to keep a sudden budding libido in check and yet also intimately connected to baseball. Connected, that is, in how we talk about sex in this country. So, this might also be a a time for the young morons out there uh, who have never been on the internet, don't know what porn is, don't look at billboards, don't watch TV, and otherwise don't listen to the radio to maybe disconnect for a little while or leave the room or put on earmuffs. Because... (laughs) I also love envisioning a group of young people who know who Suck Min Yoon is, but have no awareness of sexual intercourse. Your priorities are all wrong. It's like that Fox News thing about Santa Claus where you're watching a 10 o'clock news show. You're outraged that Santa Claus might be black, but you're 
too young to know that Santa Claus might not exist. <laughs> Fantastic work. But by, we digress. Uh, baseball is fundamentally connected to sex in the parlance of our times, right? Getting to first base, getting to second base, hitting a home run, striking out, being the pitcher, being the catcher, remembering to wear a glove. Any listener to this show is lying to themselves if they say that those terms don't come with at least a minor secondary association. Things get a little more complicated when you talk about bunt singles, stealing second, <laughs> that sort of stuff. But the, the, the words are a part of how we think about both baseball and sex. But something was recently brought to my attention by a man named Al Vernaccio. This might not be a great way for us to think about sex. Because, let's be honest, baseball is about competition. It's about winning. It's about beating the opposing team. In short, any baseball metaphor for sex leads us to the Dave Chappelle line, which was, quote, oh, I'm sorry, let me take that again. In short, any baseball metaphor for sex ends up with the Dave Chappelle line. Well, what were you trying to do, huh? Come. Well, I beat you. You got to work on your time, baby. I'm down to a minute 20. They're mad at me because I have different goals and sex. I'm a speed fucker. I'm just trying to hit my best time. Let's hear what Al has to say about that. And then when we get together with someone for pizza, we're not competing with them. We're looking for an experience that both of us will share that, that's satisfying for both of us. And when you get together for pizza with somebody, what's the first thing you do? You talk about it. You talk about what you want. You talk about what you like. You may even negotiate. How do you feel about pepperoni? <laughs> Not so much. I'm kind of a mushroom guy myself. Well, maybe we can go half and half. And even if you've had pizza with somebody for a very long time, don't you still say things like, should we get the usual? <laughs> or maybe something a little more adventurous. Now at root, I'm against anything that ends up decreasing the prominence of baseball in our everyday lingo, but the man has a decent point. And I think that pizza is a pretty good stand-in when it comes to sexual metaphors. I think it's also a point that Madonna would approve of. She is, as she tells us, a material girl, but everything from Like a Prayer to Ray of Light suggests that she's really into the sharing and the caring part as well. So what do you think, morons? Is this a place where we turn in our baseball references for a more liberated, modern, and dare I say it, cooperative sexual vocabulary? And what does this mean for our regular ongoing segment, the Chris Jakubowskis Franchise Report? To answer that last question, we must first pause to acknowledge the proud legacy of Mr. Jakubowskis, <laughs> who retired this week, putting mm. an end to the career of baseball's only Lithuanian-American pitcher, which also makes him the first Lithuanian-American pitcher to jump into the major leagues directly from the women's footwear department at Nordstrom's, <laughs> where he worked, this is all true, during his rehab from Tommy John's surgery. What? The man they, or at least I, called Jack Attack... <laughs> was last seen towing the mound in Baltimore, of course, where he gamely started six ill-fated contests for the equally ill-fated 2011 <laughs> Orioles, which was a bad career move even for a man whose previous option was selling shoes. We'll be back in just a moment with a segment that does further damage to his good name, and it really is a very good name, Jakubowskis. It's a winner. It's a winning name. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Chris Jakubowskis Franchise Report, where every week we rank the three most important stories in Birdland from strikeout to home run. Leading off this week, news item number one, per Rock Kubatko's report from FanFest, Henry Urudia has added 20 pounds of muscle this offseason and says, quote, I'm working really hard all year. I hope this is my great year in the Orioles organization. I'm working. I'm working. Alan Smith, your thoughts? Well, 
anything that has fan favorite Henry Urudia in the in the opening point has to be at least a single. Uh, unfortunately, Henry Urudia never gets anything more than a single. <laughs> so that's where it's going to stop. <laughs> uh, I would love it. I would love it if he if his twenty pounds of extra muscle means that he occasionally he hit doubles or God forbid. Uh, the ball left the park off the bat of the DH. But uh, for now, we're going to give it a single uh, and, you know, get that OPS up, see if you take some walks, and we'll we'll see how it goes into the year. I, I know it's only been a few weeks of the Chris Jakubowskis franchise report, <laughs> but already my favorite ranking so far is, <laughs> oh, something involving Henry Rudia? That gets a single because that's all he ever hits. Alan Smith, ladies and gentlemen. Can't believe I, I considered not hiring him. That, that by the way, is... A, None of that was true. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to give it a, a home run. All right. Goodbye, home run! But I'd like you to listen very carefully to the reason <laughs> that I'm giving it a home run. Okay. Because I want to read that quote to you one more time. Okay. I'm working... Re- this is Henry Rudia in his own words. Yes. I'm working really hard all year. I hope this is my great year in the Orioles organization. I'm working. I'm working. You'll notice he said year singular. He did say that. That may be a language barrier thing. <laughs> nope. I'm giving it a home run because that means we only have one year left of talking about Henry Arudia. <laughs> Let's move on to number two. <laughs> right. Episode or uh, uh, a salient point number two. We're behind on the times by a little bit, but um, all 30 owners voted unanimously a week ago to expand the use of instant replay for the 2014 season. Um, Just in short, to sum up, the manager of each team can challenge the call on a number of common game events, including ground rule doubles, fan interference, or tag plays, any time before the sixth inning. If his challenge is upheld, much like in football, he can continue to challenge again. Um, If it is overruled, he loses his challenge privileges for the rest of the game. After the sixth inning, only the umpire and crew chief can decide whether or not a play will be reviewed. Sam, what do you think? Strikeout. Strikeout? I have spoken about this on this program before, and I Uh realize this puts me... Uh Uh-oh. Curmudgeon Sam incoming. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. Let me just take my my bone pills. (laughs) I, I meant that like like joint aches, right? But we, since we were talking about sex in the intro, that now sounds weird. <laughs> anyway, uh, I have spoken about this on the program before. Uh, baseball is beautiful because it is the most human of all sports, and every move that we make away from the human factor in the on-field experience of the game, to me. Um, takes away from what is fundamentally great about the game. Baseball is great because sometimes the call goes against you when you don't deserve it, and sometimes the call goes for you when you don't deserve it. You know what that sounds like to me? Real life. (laughs) And if you take that out, you've taken away something that feels fundamentally relatable to me. Well, I'm going to give it a home run. Goodbye, home run! Because nothing that is in this set of challenge rules is taking out any of the unpredictability of baseball. When you look at what happened in the NFL, when we allow the coaches to have the ability to challenge plays, what ends up happening is about half the time they just screw it up and they challenge stupid plays and they lose a timeout and they lose a comparative advantage. And what it ends up doing is it makes the incredibly important position of the manager in baseball even slightly more important. Because Buck's not going to be sitting there with a TV screen. He's not going to be able to know. What he will be able to see is, I saw that play better than the umpires, and I think I know something about it that they don't know. And he'll get one time a game between innings one and one inning six to express that in a way that doesn't involve going out and kicking dust on the field because that's never changed a call in the entire history of the world. But it will still be entirely up to user error. And it won't change anything about that at all. What it's going to do is it's going to give advantage to, to Buck and to, to, to Madden and people who know how to manage a baseball game really well and see the game extraordinarily well. People it's going to screw over are people who think that they know the game and in fact end up blowing their challenges, getting things all messy, and, and having to sit with the, the reality that they don't actually see the game as well as some other people. So I'm going to give it a home run because I think it's going to actually do the exact opposite of all the things that you're worried about. I think it actually injects a little bit more chaos into a game, and I don't think it's going to change anything about 
um, about about the way the umpires do their job. It's just going to give the manager slightly more power to uh, to to do more than complain when he comes out of the dugout. See, uh, I think this is very interesting, Alan, because it is illustrating what I think is um, a fascinating distinction between you and me, <laughs> which is that what what's interesting to you about the advent of instant replay, and tell me if you think any of this is off base, but what's interesting to you is the effect that it's going to have on baseball from a game theory standpoint. Mm. Where, well, yeah, because okay. because you are somebody who takes a tremendous amount of of joy in life from looking at at games and trying to figure out no matter what level of strategy you understand them at, you want to understand them at the next level down from that. Right. You want to continue to go deeper. Right. Whereas I am fueled in life <laughs> by an emotional reliance on cultural experiences that reinforce my own instincts but don't you think that fundamentally we have just like so what what is what is the quintessential image of for you of an orioles manager um ray miller Hmm. with hit no i'm just kidding Uh, yeah, I mean, it's Earl Weaver kicking it's dirt. It's Earl Weaver kicking dirt, right? Yeah. So don't you want to, in some way, reinforce that cultural norm and give him the power to do more than just yell? No. I Why not? I don't, <laughs> I don't want to do that because what was so incredible about Earl Weaver kicking dirt was the fact that y- you knew that it wasn't going to change anything <laughs> and he knew that it wasn't going to change anything, but he still felt like it was important to get out of bed in the morning and just give it a try but he can still do that once he blows the call in the second inning and then he'll have seven more innings to kick dirt because he won't be able to do anything else yeah but by then by (laughs) then the 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 television conglomerates will have figured out a way to sell the time when the umpires are reviewing the play as ad oh yeah well and the whole game's gonna slow down more i can see it coming alan well i think that the advertising thing is a serious concern (laughs) (laughs) ha i win Okay, <laughs> uh, news item number three from Birdland this week. You guys, I saw a guy, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say his name because I don't want to embarrass him. But I saw a guy who was a member of the MLB fan cave in 2013 on Twitter this week, trying to see if anyone could get him fan fest tickets. Ooh. Now this guy was in the fan cave wearing the jersey. I can't say which team it was without people being able to figure out who it is. Right. But he was he was in the fan cave in a serious way. He was representing that team. He for was a in the year. fan cave in theory repping the brand name of this team for a year. And he can't even get fan fest tickets? That's a that is an embarrassing that's a that's the sort of strikeout where the the, the bottom just drops out of the slider and you swing over it and out in front of it, and you're just not anywhere close to the ball. Yeah, this is Chris Davis incessantly. <laughs> this is Adam Jones low and outside. This is Adam Jones <laughs> flailing at a low and away slider. That's really, that's, that is... What's the point of being in the fan cave if you can't get fan fest tickets the next year? Well, I mean, we're we're about to talk with someone who um, is very interested in the fan experience and in building um, fan loyalty to a team. And in sort of showing up every t- every game and 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 repping the team in a way that brings Baltimore back as a great sports town and doesn't allow Yankees and Red Sox to roll in on us all the time. Great interview coming up in just a second. Stay tuned. But I think that this is an this is the an emblematic reason of why people hate professional sports teams because there is literally no sense any kind of loyalty that goes the other direction as soon as you are not a paying member of a ticketed class of person you are persona non grata you do not exist there's no sense of like you know uh, a, a loyalty that should go both ways there's no sense that that there is a as appreciation for fans not from the players i very much feel the players like appreciate the fans but from an organizational perspective that's missing and that seems to me to be the Absolute point of why you do sports to develop a two-way relationship there. <sighs> Jeez. Well, now that we've now that we've got our collectivist dander up, <laughs> we might as well talk to somebody who agrees with us and is doing something about it. Unlike us. 
Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, for our conversation with the man who is going by O's Organizer on the Orioles subreddit. Uh, we're about to talk to him about something he calls Operation Hagee. Our guest tonight has spearheaded a very interesting campaign called Operation Hagee. To quote his post on the Orioles subreddit, where he is posting under the handle O's Organizer, he, quote, wanted to see if other people wanted to form an organized network of fans who show up on game day and potentially revolutionize what it means to be a spectator at a Baltimore sporting event. He joins us now on Baltimoreans. Pretty ambitious words, huh? Wow. (laughs) That is Uh, exactly the kind of fizzy, heady idealism we appreciate at Baltimoreans. But why don't you just really quick describe for us in a a very concrete way uh, what you're envisioning. So perfect scenario is that me and 50 to 75 of my closest friends um, consistently show up into a certain section at Camden Yards and we are just rowdy but responsibly loud. Um, <laughs> I, like kind of, I like it. Kind of starting new chants that are situational but organically Baltimore, and then having captains in other sections of the stadium following the Twitter handle um, that we're setting up or is set up, and being able to rouse their sections to action too, and have it be fun and engaging and hopefully have um, the whole stadium pick up on it while creating a you know an Operation Hagee group that can meet up before or after games, organize theme nights, costume nights, and create a broader community of an oil, of Orioles fans. That sounds really, really fantastic. It also sounds a little bit like uh, English football fans in some ways, sort Definitely. of like the standing all game and the coordinated cheers. Are you at all worried that over like a 162 game seri- you know season the energy that this is talking about is going to be too much so that's definitely something to consider right because that's one of the i think that's one of the greatest things about baseball is that you just kind of sure. sit back and watch it yeah. after watching baseball you're talking about baseball and all the little intricate things that make baseball the greatest sport ever um, so yeah right it's not it's not a soccer match where you're standing and chanting the entire time but i think it is very situational um, in terms of after strikeouts or big plays or supporting players whenever they do their thing, um, where there is room for more engagement than there is now. Mm-hmm. And especially in terms of, um, you know, this kind of goes for just Baltimore in general, but I feel like the city really lashed on to Seven Nation Army, um, especially, especially in 2012, the Reigns Super Bowl run. I mean, it was a really kind of, you know, uniting chant that people did when, you know, the Orioles or the Ravens were doing well. But I think we saw, you know, towards the back end of this year that it kind of died off. Yeah. Um, it wasn't really, you know, from Baltimore anyway. It's popularized in European soccer. So I think there's something there. There's a void there that could be filled. Well, so um, that's that's one of the things that strikes me as very interesting about this because I think you know, uh, I it sounds incredibly exciting to me too. But I think it's possible that somebody listening to this might hear it and think there's something potentially inauthentic about um, you know the idea of sort of jerry rigging via Twitter and a very heavily organized uh, set of processes. Um, some kind of mass fan action. But it sounds like what you're saying is that you're just trying to to use uh, a little bit of political organizing technique to goose an energy that already exists. Is that fair to say? Absolutely, yeah. I agree with you completely. I agree with you completely because one of the things that I find frustrating, uh, you know, when I think about these issues is that every Orioles fan that I talk to ha- can't understand why the stands are so empty for late-season series against our chief rivals. Can't understand why the crowd isn't going more insane during high-leverage situations in games. Can't understand why we're incapable of shouting down Yankees fans and Red Sox fans, etc., etc., etc. And yet, nothing 
changes. So it seem I agree with you that it just takes the people like us who are fed up with it doing the legwork to make it happen to get us over that hump. Yeah, and that's where all this came from. Honestly, is how how they're, they're right. People are, I think people are hungry for it. Nobody want no Orioles fan wants to sit in Camden Yards, uh, <laughs> surrounded by by obnoxious assholes, right? <laughs> like, is there anything worse than sur- in Camden Yards and being surrounded by people with their cheater jerseys? Literally nothing. I, there is literally I, nothing. I, worse I mean, than that. maybe it's an Alex Rodriguez jersey or a Tashera jersey. Like, maybe that's a little bit worse. Or a Pedroia but, but, or a Pedroia jersey. You know. <laughs> Right, so I feel like that's where it's coming from. It's like, wow, this is ridiculous, and I think part of it is because Baltimore fans are fairly well, fairly reserved and polite. Is right. that why that even happens? Um, why why other fans are even allowed to get away with it? Well, it's so, like a very good namesake then, as someone to uh, to channel in not necessarily being overtly disrespectful to those people, but not taking uh, the fact that they're there as a reason to sit down and be quiet. Yeah, and I think I think. Bill Hagee proved that fans can have an impact on the game, um, and that uh, you know the, there's there's room for fans to really play an, a proactive role in supporting the team that really can get into players' conscious and help them to perform better on the field and eventually maybe even translate into more wins. Well, so let's uh, let's talk about some of the the proposals that that are going on here. You've created a Google Doc that's editable by anybody with the link and uh, this there are already a number of submissions on this page of people going on and proposing various situational cheers that could be used as part of Operation Hagee. And some of these are really, really great. Just to give people uh, some examples here, um, <laughs> one of them is uh, Wei Yin. Wei Yin, he's our man. If he can't do it, no one, Chen. <laughs> Which I think is just really spectacular. <laughs> I think we're going to need to set that to music so we can get some sort of chant behind it because it's going to be hard to sync up otherwise. A lot of words there. <laughs> Uh, another one that is on there is uh, anytime David Lowe does something good to shout low jacked. I'm not entirely. I'm not entirely convinced that's going to happen though. <laughs> well, that's the good thing Maybe about this. It's aspirational. Run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What we're thinking is trying. We're trying to keep it simple, very calm response. A lot of people thought that you know some of these would never take on, catch on. There, there's too much to them. We need to keep it simple to get started, which I tend to agree with. I think we should probably only sure. go for with a handful. Um, that people are aware about that we can promote through the Twitter handle that people are following, you know, in game when we want to get something started. Ideally, um, you know, this is just, you know, organizer thinking, um, is that we would have a core group of, you know, maybe 20 to 30 people with flyers on opening day right. and just, and just flyer bomb the people in line on their way in, uh, and try and get as many people as we can ready to go. So really where we're at right now is trying to get over the logistical hurdle of essentially putting together our exec board, seats are open, whoever wants, whoever <laughs> wants to jump on. Um, so we're trying to put together just a core group of volunteers uh, that are going to help get the word out and then start trying to ID games for, that we want to hit you know, as hard as we can in the first couple of weeks and then you know, trying to do like theme nights around it, building signs. Um, maybe banners, costumes, um, anything that we can do to kind of help get it off the ground. There's a, the Seattle team, um, whenever Felix Hernandez pitches, they have a whole section which does the King's Court. They all wear yellow. They all stand the entire time. They all cheer on every one of his pitches. So, yeah, right? So I think when people, like, hear this idea, like, the limitless potential starts, like, jumping out. Um and which is, it's really easy for us to, like, get ahead of ourselves. Um, so what we're trying to do is we're trying to take baby steps and really put together this core group of people. This is where we are right now. It's just trying to get this core group of people together that are serious about it and trying to get them organized for opening day. So speaking of getting ahead of ourselves, um, Sam and I have had a plan for the, uh, for the last couple of years to crowdsource the um, $600 million through maybe like a Kickstarter, $10, $20 donations needed to purchase the Baltimore Orioles and then convert them <laughs> to a nonprofit <laughs> serving the city of Baltimore. Sort uh, of like the Green Bay Packers? Yeah. Or, 
Oh, yeah, only, okay. only slightly more so because we'd actually want to have them as a 501c3 and have, you know, profits go to the city of Baltimore instead of Green Bay, which sort of plows the profits back into the Packers. But we can we can quibble about details later. Do you think that in the long run we can turn this Reddit Hagee's craziness into a crowdsourced campaign to purchase the Orioles and return them to their rightful owner, meaning the people of Baltimore. Basically, what we're saying is, can we can we steal the organizational legwork <laughs> that you've put in that we have so far been able to channel only into this podcast to achieve a higher aim? Sure. I mean, the, the power of organizing is kind of endless, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna dash anybody's dreams here. Um, <laughs> Love it. One of the things that I really like about this project, too, is that there's a way of looking at it in which it's a sort of a thumb in Peter Angelos's eye. It's sort of a way of saying, you know, you are not willing to put anything on the line to generate fan excitement. We'll do it ourselves, and we'll base it on uh, the, the passion that we feel for this team. We'll, we'll organize it all ourselves and, and prove to you that it has nothing to do with the kind of ridiculous marketing campaigns that you subject us to, like the pet calendar or, you know, the, the buy an Oriole Park 20 years patch, uh, that kind of thing. I mean, it, it really, it, it comes from the part of Orioles fans that feels like it, it transcends the whole Angelos thing. Yeah. I mean, it's not about ownership. It's about the team. It's about what they mean to the fans. It's about what they mean to Baltimore. And I think it's about what we can do to support the team in a real way. I honestly think that if fans were more engaged and, and more organized in the stadium, that it could literally translate into more wins. I really believe that. Um, and, I, I mean, I've heard players say, Adam Jones specifically, that he, he's fed up with having important games with division rivals at Camden Yards be, feel like they're on the road. Yeah. And, I, and I honestly think that if we could have a more organized presence in the stadium and support players in key situations, that we can get into their heads in the right way um, and right. really hope, hope maybe do, do some good. Yeah, love it. Love it. All right, well... You, uh, Baltimore on listener, should go check out this entire organization. It is on Reddit. You can find it under Operation Hagee. Um, the gentleman we were just talking to, who will remain nameless until his uh, triumphant crowning on Game 162 of the end of this year, uh, is is posting there. But you should go post there, too. It's a movement that we all should shape. Um, Baltimoreans would like to give it our strong stamp of approval, and you should support it anyway. You're listening to Baltimore. The home of the all-weather fan. This is Alan Smith. And this is Sam Dingman. And ladies and gentlemen, if you are not already listening religiously to Welcome to Night Vale, I'll just say that you're missing out on one of the most original creative voices to come along in media in the last 20 years. It is, it is. It is. I mean, we, we tend to the hyperbolic on this show. But Welcome to Night Vale is really one of the most amazing podcasts that you can find time to go listen to. Um, you should go right now to commonplacebooks.com and, uh, and check out what they're doing over there because it is fantastic. Now, the, the tribute to Welcome to Night Vale that we're about to, to present to you uh, is in no way authorized by <laughs> the folks who make Welcome to Night Vale. This is just our loving tribute to their show. Uh, and a comedy sketch that we think, if you don't listen to Welcome to Night Vale, you're probably going to enjoy, too. Uh, it, it, we're calling it Welcome to Night Baseball, and it goes like this. A flag ripples in the Baltimore breeze. In the lobby of the downtown Hilton, a single cosmopolitan slips through a woman's fingers and shatters on the floor. Behind a nondescript window in a nondescript brick warehouse... Peter Angelos presses a glowing red button. Welcome to Night Baseball.
And welcome back, sports fans. August Magnolia here, along with Mike Bordick. And for those of you just joining us, the Orioles are currently trailing 7 to nothing, as Falcon Ridge White Stocking starter Eli Entwistle is currently throwing what can best be described as an immaculate game. He has recorded 12 consecutive outs without throwing a single pitch, relying instead on his personal overwhelming sense of ennui and despair, which he channels into a fearsome glower. Each Orioles batter has stood in, only to feel an unspeakable weight, a frustration with his family, a deep-seated resentment for his omission from the 2014 Orioles Pets calendar, and a fear of something that cannot be quite defined. They then, to a man, have sighed and returned to the dugout, fighting back tears. There has also been a strange development above Oriole Park at Camden Yards, as, for the last three innings, a giant vortex of yellow light and haunting, yet undeniably beautiful music has been gathering until it obscures much of the night sky and the Hilton Hotel. Well, and Entwistle really has his stare working tonight. It's a real fine outing made even more remarkable by the fact that he came into tonight's game with an 0-6 record and an ERA over 7 to go along with a series of unexplained abrasions and burns along his chest and shoulders. By the way, August, you mentioned the Orioles' 2014 Pets calendar. That's available in the Orioles' gift shop or online at www.orioles.com shop. Thank you, Mike Bordick for that important reminder. However, it will be difficult for our fans to access that website as it is currently filled with blood. The principal damage from the White Stockings offense came in the bottom of the third when cleanup hitter Thurston Gompers laced a double back up the middle that clove Jamal Weeks into two separate halves and also allowed two runs to score. Miraculously, the two halves of Jamal Weeks have reformed into two second basemen, both of whom still rate negatively in the ultimate zone rating metric, as defined by Fangraphs.com. And Gompers has really been on a tear lately, hitting over 340 in road games, racking up 12 RBI and three fatalities on this road trip alone. And you know... Fangraphs is a great website, but I've never been an advanced metrics kind of a guy. Weeks has been just fantastic since joining the team, and his clubhouse presence has been a welcome distraction from the unexplained but menacing hooded figures who've replaced the entire training staff. He's got to be considered one of the best second basemen in the major leagues today. Two of the best second basemen, Mike Bordick. Meanwhile, Orioles starter Wei-Yin Chen has not fared nearly as well as Entwistle. Thus far, he's given up seven runs on nine hits and been forced to sign a contract consigning his as-yet-unborn child to Falcon Ridge manager Valkron the Omnipotent. After escaping a bases-loaded jam in the fourth inning, Chen was last seen wading slowly into the inner harbor wringing his hands and moaning. Tommy Hunter, however, pitched a scoreless fifth and will take the mound again for the Orioles facing the bottom of the White Stockings order. He'll go against shortstop Bucky Thurston, right fielder Lyndon LaRouche, the younger brother of Adam and Andy, such a great baseball family there, and their ninth place hitter, who has no name but is rather a formless amalgamation of Hunter's deepest fears and insecurities. Thurston stands in against Hunter, brandishing a glowing purple bat. The first pitch from Hunter is a fastball on the outside corner for strike one. Thurston looks displeased. He steps out of the box and has whispered something into the barrel of his bat. Yeah, it's very strange. Many of these Falcon Ridge batters will do that between pitches. Kind of reminds you of that movie Lost in Translation. Did you see that one, August? I've never seen a movie. Oh. Ball one to Thurston as Hunter's breaking ball comes up just a bit short. As many Orioles fans know, Tommy got married this offseason. His bride is in attendance for tonight's game. Television cameras captured her between innings, 
removing a piece of crab cake from between her glistening fangs. And there's another strike on the outside corner. Thurston steps out of the box again, and now he's raised the bat above his head, and he's opened his mouth to the heavens, emitting some kind of incantation. A column of light has appeared in the swirling dusk, descending slowly toward his bat. He raises the bat to meet the verdant plume descending from the vortex. All hail the bat! All cower before the light! And strike three called as Hunter dots the inside part of the plate with a changeup. It appears that Thurston neglected to call time out before stepping out of the box to begin his incantation. And uh, that is four straight set down by Tommy Hunter. LaRoche stands in now, hoping to get something started here for the white stockings. LaRoche is wearing his trademark battling helmet, which not only protects his head, but also conceals his entire face, which no one in the national media has ever seen. And now the vortex that swirls above us seems to have responded to Thurston's strikeout as long purple tendrils have begun to creep down into the third deck of Orioles Park. You know, LaRoche's helmet reminds me of that special knee guard that Kevin Euclid has to wear. I tell you, no one gets hit quite as often as Euk. Euclid is, of course, playing this season in Japan, where he is rumored to be conspiring with the government on some sort of climate control device. Hunter misses outside with the curveball, and now the tendrils have begun snatching fans in section 336 at random and flinging them out of sight as the strange yet sweet, sweet music grows ever louder. 1 and 0 on the Roche. And as Wei Yin Chen learned all too painfully, you just can't get behind these white stockings hitters, even here at the bottom of the order. He also learned that physical pain is nothing compared to the horror of seeing one's progeny consigned to a lifetime of servitude. Of course, should Hunter and his bride ever successfully procreate, their offspring would be heir to the throne of Steve Pearsylvania, that ghoulish kingdom in the north where the men are strong but foolish. And LaRoche has turned on a 1-0 offering and drives it sharply to the left side of the infield. J.J. Hardy, as he has all game, simply turns and watches the ball skip by as a single tear rolls down his stubbled cheeks and the corpse of Nolan Reimold feels the ball and gets it back into the twin Jemiah Weeks's covering second base. So a runner on first with one away. That's Hunter's first real mistake of the evening. He left the fastball up and LaRoche just turned on it. Let's hope Tommy can bear down here and retire the side before the White Stockings increase their lead. That's unlikely. Because digging in now is a loose amalgamation of Tommy Hunter's fears and insecurities. The glistening, writhing mass of smoke and rapidly changing spectral images appears to all who behold it as the thing they fear most in this world. Now, clearly this matchup doesn't favor Hunter, but the scouting reports, which appear to be covered in a thin film of light blue slime, suggest that the loose amalgamation has a weakness for the cutter low and away, so if Tommy can successfully work that corner, he might just induce an inning-ending double play. It looks like that won't be happening, Mike Bordick as Hunter has just collapsed to his knees. He's covering his ears, deafened by the sound of a blood-curdling scream that only he can hear. Orioles manager Buck Showalter is jogging out to the mound from the dugout, and it looks like we're going to have a pitching change. Meanwhile, the vortex spins on, and the purple sky tentacles are growing ever bolder. They've now claimed the majority of the fans above the SK out-of-town scoreboard, as well as Orioles right fielder Nick Markakis. And losing Hunter here is not a good development for the Orioles, who've had to rely on their bullpen so much throughout the entirety of this series, and really all season long. It's times like this you wish the front office had been able to sign a couple of durable starting pitchers during the offseason, particularly now that we may never see Wei Yin Chen again. 
And this call to the bullpen is brought to you by National Bohemian Beer. Do you find that you can't remember why you wanted to get out of bed in the morning? Do you find yourself laying in the gray pre-dawn light, feeling as though your legs have been replaced with concrete? There are a list of things that need to be done today, but you can't remember why any of them are important. The car is due for a tune-up, but where would you need to go? There is no one expecting you, and the groceries you intended to purchase will only slowly decompose next to last week's supply. You told yourself you'd cook more this year, but who are you kidding? There's no one to eat with you, except the cat. You look over at your dresser. The cat is sitting on a pile of your dirty clothing, looking at you, his eyes casting a judgment that you've never seen there before. Could that be more than simply hunger? Could he be planning your demise? No, you tell yourself. That's crazy. He is only a cat. And yet, would anyone notice if he succeeded? How many weeks would it be before someone missed you? How many weeks of your body sitting in this very bed with your cat and this dresser and those piles of dirty clothes and the wall still blank where you intended to hang a photograph of that place in Ireland where you were last happy? National Bohemian. Oh boy, what a beer. Brian Mattis is on to take his warm-up tosses as wind levels on the field approach gale-force proportions. And we'll be back to find out if he can get the Orioles out of this inning after these 15 seconds of mysterious noise conveying no clear message. Welcome back. The amalgamation of fears has lurched back into the box against Brian Mattis, who so far seems to possess more courage than his predecessors. Which is funny when you think about it, because anyone who's ever looked at Brian Mattis knows that he perpetually wears the expression of perpetual insecurity, made famous by the George Michael Bluth character on the television show Arrested Development. I've also never seen a television program. You know, that's just so funny to me, because... And Mike Bordick former shortstop for the Baltimore Orioles, is the latest victim of the strange but powerful and compelling vortex that circles above us. I can see him now, screaming, as he is sucked into the sky by the ravenous tentacles, and Mattis is into his windup, and the first pitch to the loose amalgamation is a strike right down the heart of the plate. Fans, don't forget to text in your votes for tonight's player of the game when making your selection. However, please do remember, none of the options are human or playing in this particular game. And also, we don't have a number to text to. So, simply whisper your selection into your tear-soaked pillow when night is at its darkest. And it's 1-0 on the loose amalgamation as Mattis toes the rubber. He rocks and delivers a... Apologies to Commonplace Books and the creators of Welcome to Night Vale. <laughs> Seriously, do go uh, go check that out. Alan and I uh, have have talked many times about trying to do some some Baltimore Ons episodes that uh, are loving tributes to the shows that make us want to sit down in front of microphones every week. And Welcome to Night Vale is at or near the top of that list for both of us. So that was really fun for us, and we hope you enjoyed it too. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we've reached the end of the show. And we've made it almost all the way through the program without mentioning that uh, our other favorite podcasts include our good sister wives over at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Get on over there. Check out the fine work being done by all of the 
gentlemen taking to the microphones along with us every week as part of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. We are very pleased to count ourselves among their number. And we think we referenced every single one of them in the night baseball sketch. We we at least we at least tried to get <laughs> to get them in there. A conceptual shout out if nothing else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you guys, if you didn't hear the tribute the if you didn't hear the reference to your show, then you don't know your show as well as we know your show. <laughs> what? <laughs> the music on 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 Baltimoreans this week, ladies and gentlemen, was as always uh, the Baltimoreans theme song by Marshall York. The song "Working for Another Song" by the band Town Hall. The song "Birdland" by Weather Report. The song "Sample in a Jar" by Fish. The music of Disparition which is made freely available to those who wish to download it at disparition.info. And Sam, we actually have a, 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 a correction from last week's show. Uh-oh. Um, a, a little mistake that I met, made, um, and this is a, a, a Joe Morgan level uh, of, of baseball analysis here. Uh, I pronounce the performing artists as Keisha, and in fact it's Kesha, Kesha. I mispronounced the money sign in her name, and I apologize to everyone involved. Easy to do. Easy to do. So retroactive thanks to Kesha for, uh, for her fine, fine work. And of course, behind me right now, ladies and gentlemen, it's Kicking My Heart Around by the Black Crows. Sam. Yes, sir. What do you call Henry Arudia when he overcomes a modest start to his major league career to swat 3,053 hits and end up enshrined in Cooperstown? I would call him Henry Rod Carudia. Talk to you next week. Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com.